The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. I can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 301, coming to you on Tuesday, February 12th. It is Lincoln's birthday, so we'll give you a few thoughts for a penny and talk about the latest in USC football news, including the loss of Puka Nakua, who has moved on to Washington, and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy, Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Bonus episodes are over on Patreon, patreon.com slash reignoftroy. Our email address is reignoftroy at fansided.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joined along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We have reached that point. What what do you call this? It's like um, off-season purgatory, where it feels like recruiting season is over, but spring camp isn't here yet it's too early to preview spring camp putting the rundown together it's a it's a weird it's a weird part of the offseason it's uh it's the calm before the storm or are we in the eye of the storm let's call it the eye of the storm uh where you know you had this the storm pass of january and all that things calm down for just a second but it's only gonna be a couple weeks before before spring camp is here so it's not you know, it's a it's a little doldrummy, but it's going to be very, very short because, like you said, yeah, it's a little early to preview spring camp. But like next week, it won't be too early to preview spring camp. We're going to start our spring camp previews next week. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy is where you can subscribe and get all of those. We previewed spring camp and fall camp last year by going through every single unit and we're going to do it again starting next week. So look out for those. We'll go through the quarterbacks and the wide receivers and the tight ends and every single position group. Break down the roster, the battles to watch, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, people really liked them last year, and and they're fun little, you know, short twenty minutes, twenty five minutes, quick primers that that you know, if you're you're ready to get ready for spring ball, it's a good way to reacquaint yourself with the roster, reacquaint yourself with who's going to be involved in each position. And I don't, know, I I thought I thought they were very informative last year for for us putting them together just to get us ready. Uh, for for spring camp and also we got tons of great feedback so pretty proud of those and looking forward to do them again yeah i feel like i learned a lot about them last year but i'm gonna learn more this year considering all the transfers there were a bunch of transfers last year but there's been a lot this year a lot of changes a lot of departures on the coaching staff too so a lot of things to look forward to with usc going into spring camp in a few weeks but let's get into this episode with the news starting up next USC was in the running for Puka Nakua, the 136th ranked recruit in the 24-7 sports composite for the 2019 class. He was the last pretty much major recruit that was unsigned. He had been committed to USC for almost half a year at this point. Went into signing day, was going to sign with the team, ultimately didn't, pushed it back, pushed it back all the way till Sunday night, 
And late on Sunday night, he made his decision on KSL in Utah. This is the big moment we've waited for. Pocanacua, where are you going to play your college football? Um, I will be uh, attending the University of Washington. Going to be a Husky. There you go. The four-star receiver out of Orem High School in Orem, Utah, picks the Huskies. It's a big loss for USC because someone who they needed, especially with the loss of Drew McCoy, USC pretty much has Kyle Ford headlining the receiving group along with Drake London and Munir McLean. Pukunakua could have used him in the air raid offense. Yeah, he was one of the stars of the All-American Bowl. He was one of the stars of the Polynesian Bowl and just looked like a baller. And so, yeah, he's, he's definitely a loss. USC needs the additional depth. They they did do what they needed to do with the wide receivers in this class, so it's not the end of the world, but it is a a talented player that's going to go strengthen a Pac-12 rival, and that's that's really the big problem is you had Pukunakua as a, as a commit, and you lost him to a, a, a team that's going to be competing for the Pac-12 against you, you know, going forward, and it's kind of the story of this recruiting class, isn't it? USC lost out on a ton of targets to Washington and to Oregon. And, uh, you know, that's you're seeing the recruiting power in the Pac-12 shift up north. And that's just not good for, for USC in terms of continuing to keep this this roster stacked with talent. Like I said, like, I think Brady McCullough did a really good job on Twitter of kind of putting it all in context around, yeah, losing losing Puganakua, losing Brew McCoy is big hits for the Trojans. They're still going to go into this this year, 2019, with Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughns and Valus Jones and Amon Ross St. Brown and Devin Williams as the the primary receiving target. So it's, it's not like USC is going to be lacking in that regard as they transition to the air raid, but it, it's more of what losing Puka Nakua represents in the whole in that kind of the the disappointment of this recruiting class this loss is a little bit hard to process in kind of assigning blame though because that that's I think a lot of the discussion around this recruiting class and around losing Puka Nakua specifically has been just assigning blame for for USC's failures in the recruiting cycle this year I I don't know if I'm looking at this as some huge failure though for on USC's part because this is what happens when you fire your wide receivers coach and your offensive coordinator like Puka Nakua committed to T Martin Brew McCoy committed or was was being you know pursued mostly by T Martin and you fire T and you lose your top recruiter the top recruiter on your team yeah, your recruiting is going to suffer. You go five and seven. Yeah, your recruiting is going to suffer. And in this particular case, I think it's very, very simple that Pukunakua was was enticed elsewhere because USC, the, the, the people who convinced him to commit to USC in the first place were no longer there. I don't think that's the whole thing, though. Like you, you mentioned Brew McCoy. Brew McCoy stays at USC if Cliff Kingsbury stays at USC. It was Cliff Kingsbury who convinced him to sign at USC. So it's not just T. Martin. I think it's the uncertainty of everything, right? It's T losing his role as offensive coordinator and then being fired and then Cliff coming in and then Cliff leaving and then a two, three week span in which there was no OC right before signing day. And then they get finally get someone before signing day and it's Graham Harrell. And at, at that point, you're racing towards the dead period and it's hard to get him to be able to get out there and recruit and all that stuff. I think it's all of that. I don't think it's just T. Martin. The the main point of of what you're saying, I completely agree with that these are the things that happen when you have this much turnover and this much, you know, disarray. Like, you shouldn't be surprised. Sometimes new coaches look for different things. Sometimes new coaches don't favor a player. Sometimes new coaches come in and it's a different voice for the player to talk to. It's, they don't have the same chemistry. There's a million different things in here. And, you know, not to say that SC should have just had continuity, because that's the problem too. Like, SC needed all these changes. So it's hard to say that, you know, they shouldn't have gone through all these changes because it was necessary on the offensive side of the ball. Well, and, and, and that's the thing is we all agreed at the time. I feel like we all agreed at the time. Yeah, USC needed to move on from a lot of these players. They needed to move on from Neil Calloway. They needed to move on from T. Martin. They needed to move on uh, from from a lot of the different uh, guys that they did. But these are the consequences. I, I have two, two more kind of quick points on this. The first is um, the – I guess if there was an argument to, to keep Clay Hilton – at the end of of the twenty eight season, the twenty eighteen season, it was for the continuity of the recruiting class. But 
hasn't this whole cycle kind of proved that that was all, you know, wishful thinking? Like you were never going to, if you, if you were going to keep Clay Helton, but then axe your staff, like you were always going to get hurt in recruiting. So it wasn't going to save your recruiting class by keeping Clay Helton in, 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 in place. Like, I don't know where USC's class finishes with a whole new coaching staff, but it's certainly a different picture than we're looking at now. Uh, the second thing is, I think this also proves, this whole situation also proves the idea that USC recruits itself has always been a little bit of a of a kind of paper tiger to me, a, 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 a false belief. Um, th- what happened to USC in this season, having gone five and seven, having lost a lot of their coaches and having gone through all of the turnover and all this kind of stuff, USC doesn't recruit itself. USC has a a great foundation to recruit upon better than most other schools in the country. But USC can't just exist and attract the top recruits into its orbit just because it exists in California. Otherwise, if that was the case, Brew McCoy would still be at USC. If that was the case, then Chris Steele would be at USC. And 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 a lot of these guys would, would have picked USC if it wasn't for, you know, the the stuff that's going on around USC. USC just can't expect to sit back and have every all these riches come into its lap. You got to work to get there. See, I wildly disagree with this because I think if USC is stable and if USC is a winning program, they don't have to be the most elite program. They don't have to be in the playoff. They don't have to be anything like that. They do recruit themselves. They absolutely recruit themselves. It's when you're in a situation where you're five and seven and everything is terrible that you don't. And I think that goes for most major programs. Like the the big schools do recruit themselves as long as there's a reason to go there. There's yes, no reason to go to USC right now for a multitude of reasons. But you're but you're then you're downplaying the effect of T Martin as a recruiter. T Martin was obviously no, extraordinarily good. But that's but that's my point. My, my all my point is it takes work to get guys to come to you. you. Like USC has an advantage on most other schools because it's in Los Angeles and it has this history and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean that USC can sit back and not have to do any work and not have to prove itself to any recruits. I don't think the phrase USC recruits itself, and it doesn't mean that you sit back and do nothing. What people act like is that is that uh, like Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian and the work that USC did in the in these years that they've pulled in these top recruiting classes will happen just naturally. I don't think it happens just naturally. You have to have good recruiters on your staff. You have to have people who put in the work and put in the time and put in the effort and 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 are cultivating relationships with players and getting them all to come because the, because they're being attracted to USC for all of the different reasons. But like USC alone is not gonna is not gonna sell itself. It, it, you need somebody to be making the pitch for you. And it's not just that USC had a five and seven season. It's USC had a five and seven season while too many of its coaches were not cultivating the relationships that it needed. While its support staff was, was a three or four man team where Gavin Morris is basically doing everything by himself and, and being a one man recruiting machine. But take Gavin Morris out of the equation and USC is doing much, much worse in this recruiting class. The personalities that are involved in the recruiting do matter in terms of the sell of what of 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 getting these guys to USC. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't mean that USC recruits itself in the point that they don't have to do anything. Well, that's all I'm saying is that I think this is the reality check that pe- that maybe people need to credit the recruiters that USC has had in the past for the work that they've done in the past. I think people have given them plenty of credit for recruiting. I think people assume that their job is easy. I think that. Lane Kiffin can be a great recruiter and he could be in a situation that is way simpler than most schools. And both those things can be true at the same time. Yes. I'm not saying the opposite isn't true. I just want to point out you do that, that, that the recruiting job that USC had been doing over the last few years doesn't come out of nowhere. Good recruiters create that situation and they're given a really, really, you know, good instrument to play here. But you still have to have skill in terms of plucking the strings. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a two-way street for sure. Uh, let's talk about something that we tend to do on RainerTroy.com. Every February, we put a list together of recruits to watch for for the next year's class. So in 2018, we put out a list of 10 players in the 2019 class to watch for. It's mostly guys that, you know, would be obvious players to target. Local guys local five stars, players that position of need in the West, names that you're going to hear all year that SC is either probably going to be in the mix for or whatnot, right? Yeah, these aren't 10 like wishful thinking kind of guys. These aren't 10, 
you know, cross-country home run kind of situations. These are all guys who USC was expected to be at least in the mix for, if not favorites for. Yeah, and let's go down the list. Let's see how good USC did. Kayvon Thibodeau from Oaks Christian, signs at Oregon. Brew McCoy from Modern Day, goes to Texas. Chris Steele from St. John Bosco, goes to Florida. Jonah Tuano from Narbonne, goes to Oregon. Micah Pittman from Calabasas, goes to Oregon. Sean Dollars from Modern Day, goes to Oregon. Isaiah Foskey from De La Salle, goes to Notre Dame. Uh, Matthew Pulamau goes to K-State. Jaden Daniels from El Cajon goes to ASU. And Chris Adamora from Mayfair goes to Texas. Alicia, that's all 10. How many of those went to USC? None of them. Well, Brew McCoy briefly went to USC. Yes, briefly. That is damning. Really damning because not all these guys are going to be superstars. I mean, Matthew Polamau is someone who made the list because he's Isaiah Polamau's brother. He dropped to a three-star, kind of fell off the recruiting cliff, but someone that would have been in the mix, right? All of these guys, you would have thought SC would have been in the mix at some point, and for the most of them, they were. Chris Steele was committed to USC. Jonah Tuano was at, on campus all the damn time. Yeah, one of the other things to mention, too, with, with this list is that on it, we also looked at... Uh, other recruits to mention at each position that we talked about. So there's the 10 guys that were highlighted, but we also kind of threw out some names there that you might want to know because USC is probably going to be looking at them. Yeah. So it makes like a list of like 25 to 30 guys. Right, exactly. And USC got four of those guys. If, if the list, I think there's probably like 30 on this list that are at least mentioned along with the, so 20 along with the, the 10 who are highlighted. Uh, and USC got four total. They have Max Williams from Sarah they got Kyle Ford from Orange Lutheran, Ethan Ray from Orange Lutheran, and Jude Wolf from St. John Bosco. But in that group, they also miss out on modern day's Mace Funa, who goes to Oregon. Henry Tooto'o, who from De La Salle, who goes to Tennessee. They miss out on Sean Ryan, who goes to UCLA, offensive tackle. Uh, they miss out on, on Jordan Wilmore, who was a USC commit, who goes to Utah. Uh, they miss out on uh, Fatui Tuatele, who goes to Washington. Keon Ware-Hudson from not modern day who goes to Oregon you know down down the list down the list down the list and the big problem there is how many of these guys are now strengthening Oregon and Washington you know i suppose the 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 only positive to glean there is that UCLA wasn't picking up a lot of these guys that you would be worried about them shifting the the recruiting picture in in California and southern california at least UCLA didn't pick up these guys but a lot of them go to Oregon, a lot of them go to Washington, and that's going to be a problem for USC because it's one thing to lose guys to Texas. You're done with that uh, that series, but you're going to potentially see, well, you're going to see Oregon and Washington regularly. You're going to potentially see them in the Pac-12 title game if you get there. These guys are, are strengthening those rival programs, and these are the guys that USC normally locks down. This is USC locking down Southern California, USC locking down the West and being the recruiting power in the West. You look at this list... USC didn't have an impact in the West. The number of modern day guys, highly ranked modern day guys who go elsewhere. Modern day is supposed to be USC's big recruiting pipeline. What happened? How are they all ending up at Oregon? How are they all ending up at Washington? It's a huge drop ball. <laughs> Again, that's what happens when you go five and seven. Everything kind of goes to hell. Uh, and SC now has to find a way to get better and improve. The good news is for sure, like you said, of all these guys that, you know, the 30 some odd names that we that we listed here, only one went to UCLA and Sean Ryan. They didn't get Jaden Daniels, a quarterback that they were in the mix for. They didn't get Puka Nakua. Like plenty of guys could have gone to UCLA and that would have been worrisome in the sense of that's a team that you're fighting with in the Pac-12 South to get the Pac-12 championship game. And I think if you look at it in the South right now, who's the favorite in the South? Utah by default? Yeah, it's got to be Utah. But isn't SC still right there? Well, Utah, we talked about this last week. I think Utah had a recruiting dip this year, too. They get Jordan Wilmore, which is a really nice pickup for them. But USC is still very much the power in the South. The problem is that USC being the power in the South is a demotion from being the power in the Pac-12 as far as the recruiting goes. It's going to be interesting to see how SC is able to pick themselves up from this. Um, but let's talk about other news. Move on to the NFL slightly. Talk about NFL combine invites. A few Trojans got invited there. Chuma Doga, Port Augustine, Ema Marshall, Cam Smith, and Marvell Tell. Alicia, who got snubbed? I, I got to feel like Chris Brown... Maybe got snubbed a little bit. I could, I could see that. I think this time last year, if you had told me Toa Lobanon wouldn't be getting a, getting a combine invite, I would say that's not a good sign. And obviously, it isn't. Uh, but it feels like Chris Brown is the one. If there was a consistent figure on USC's offensive line this past year, it was Chris Brown. I don't know 
NFL measurables and all that kind of stuff. Maybe he just doesn't fit the mold. But, uh, you know, Ajayna Harris was never going to get an invite to the Combine because, you know, he's tiny and and all of that. Like, he was never going to be the physical specimen that they wanted to look at. So there's that. But... Yeah, I it's got to be Chris Brown. Yeah, I I would I would agree with you there. I'm interested to see what Chuma Doga does, considering he was a breakout star at uh, the Senior Bowl. Can he continue that going forward? I've always thought uh, Marvell Tell might have the brightest future of all those guys. I thought he had a really great year last year, kind of unheralded. Um, I never felt he like he got his due for how good he was last season for USC. He has a lot of potential for sure. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he's able to do that in the NFL. We will see at some point uh but alicia let's go to the listener questions there's a bunch of them let's get to them you've got mail Let's start with an email from Dan, who says, Hello, USC alum here. My question is below. Why do people think USC is going to return to national prominence within several years? I'm starting to accept that USC is going to become the next Tennessee, a once great program that will earn no conference titles and only the occasional bowl game berth for the foreseeable future. Dan. Oh, well, that's a a bleak, bleak outlook. Uh, I think it's somewhat warranted. I think the reason why, if I'm going to sort of push back on that concept that USC is going to just sort of drop into irrelevance, is that this roster still is packed with tons and tons of talent. And if USC gets the next coaching hire right, if USC makes the right decision when to move on from Clay Helton and gets the next coaching hire right, things could turn around really, really quickly. Uh, The foundations are there to turn around really quickly. The problem is, uh, you know, as far as my faith in the people who are making the decisions at the top for USC, I- I'm with Dan on this. Like, I don't know where you see optimism around Lin Swan making the right timing on the Clay Helton decision and then finding the next great head coach. Uh, you almost feel like he's got he he would have to luck into it the way Mike Garrett did. But at the same time, if there's any if there's anything to cling to, it's this. The Paul Hackett era was bad at USC, but eventually USC found Pete Carroll. Eventually it happened. Like USC has had down decades, but USC has also come around pretty regularly as well to then be a national title contender. And I would say that the Paul Hackett era was more dire too, in the sense that the Paul Hackett era was 20 years removed from a national title. SC right now is what... Jeez, 15 years. Wow. Yeah, God. struggle. <laughs> but but it, it's really it's really been 10 years since national prominence. 10 years since, since being a national contender. Uh, I guess you could say SC was a national contender under Larry Smith, uh, which they absolutely were. But it, it's, it's just kind of different in the sense that the 90s as a whole were just blah. There was the one good year uh, in 95 in which they went to the Rose Bowl. But like, it's not like they were moving towards anything and whether it's sc or whether it's tennessee or we've seen a bunch of other programs have this funk right i mean who else is that colorado nebraska it all goes back to coaching hires and so sc is only an elite coach away from being a dominant team again it's just a matter of getting that elite coach now do you feel confident that this administration and this you know athletic department and lynn swan will make that great hire no i don't i certainly don't but i also think that SC has the talent right now to still be able to win. And and I think that even with Clay Helton, they should be able to win. I mean, look at last season. How many games should SC have won even with being poorly coached? They should have won the Cal game still. They should have won the ASU game still. And it's not like you're changing a million things. You're changing one play here or there. And SC could have been a 7-5 team. They could have been an 8-4 team. Like, not much has to change for SC to be way better than they are now. And if they're eight and four, they're getting better recruits too. The entire recruiting class doesn't plummet. Uh, They're probably able to sign more of those guys that we mentioned earlier in the last segment. Like things are drastically different. Is the opinion that we all have of the program different? I don't think so. I don't think it's much different. I don't think people have faith in Clay Helton and whatnot, but there would have been even more talent there. So I think that anything can switch on a dime. It's just a matter of not letting it go into a worse situation. For sure, you can't just keep having five and seven years. And if you repeat the last 12 months again and then again and again, 
then you get into that period where Tennessee was with Derek Dooley and, you know, the last few years with uh, with Jones. So Well, and that's and, and isn't that the, the perfect example is Derek Dooley was the wrong hire. He was not a good hire. So if you if yeah, if, if Lynn Swan comes out here and, and hires somebody who whose ceiling is seven and five, then yeah, you're going to face a decade of this because it's going to take another three years to get rid of that person because you should give every coach three years to figure themselves out uh, and and you will extend things. But like I said, you know, it it all swings on the next hire. I guess yeah. it, like the, the biggest concern for me is the financial thing. Like if USC doesn't feel like they have enough money to go out and – they have pay, the money. Pay it's, coaches. it's the willingness to spend. That's, that's right. the Ex- question. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the big question that needs to be answered. The the willingness to spend the money that it takes to be great is what I have doubts about. Right. Hey, if SC goes out and hires Matt Campbell, all these emails that we're getting next year are going to be like, can he win in year one? That's what everyone's going to be like. Right, now, but hiring Matt Campbell would require USC to bring out the checkbook because for Matt sure. Campbell is going to be a guy who's going to be having a lot, a lot of offers. 100%. And it would require you know, them to do something that we're not confident in them doing. It'll also require them, and this is, if I have one big fear for 2019, it's this. My big fear is that 7-5 and five Clay Helton gets retained. No, because, no, bad USC. <laughs> no. Exactly, because you, then you're extending the misery out far beyond what you need like i've been saying from the beginning right i'm holding usc to a notre dame standard anything less than 10 and 2 is not good enough in what world does 7 and 5 clay helton get extended i mean not extended but you know uh kept lynn swan doesn't want to make the change that that's the world that that it happens why would he not want to make the change at that point though because the buyout is too big or one reason or another the buyout lessons by the year though right you know what i but, mean like but the like, buyout might like i all i'm saying is i agree like i said i it would be a huge huge mistake but also lynn swan hasn't exactly made a lot of really really good decisions lately so what what am like what evidence is there for me to believe that he wouldn't make that huge mistake for the sake of not wanting to pay another buyout Here, here's a question would you feel more or less confident in lynn swan if he fires Andy Enfield after this season. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I would feel more confident because I don't think for a second that Andy Enfield's getting fired. But no, because Andy Enfield's recruiting class is going to be way too good to fire him. Correct. But if you know SC finishes nine and nine and Pac-12 play or whatever like that, and he gets fired, doesn't isn't that the kind of move that you would have wanted to see from Lin Swan? I could also see a situation, by the way, in which Lin Swan feels more aggressive in basketball than he does with football because football means more and you have to be more meticulous. You have to be more careful and therefore conservative, if that makes sense. Yes, but it would also show a willingness to fire and to conduct a coaching search. And so I could see it both ways, but at least it would show the, the willingness there to make a move. Which right. I I read into everything that Lin Swan has said, a lack of willingness to make a move. Well, because what he could say, he could say after seven and five, he could say, you know, we talked about the deficiencies in culture and discipline and this, that, and the other thing, but it wasn't gonna, we weren't gonna fix that overnight. Like we got a little bit better this year. We, we got and, a little bit better, and you know that's what you're supposed to do, and blah blah blah. Yeah. Look, we lost all those seniors. Like, Lin Swan could say, like, look at all the, 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 the seniors on the defense and the seniors on the offensive line. Like, we lost a lot of guys. We're still a young team. Like, that line that we're a young team, like that bullcrap. Like, they can still spout that off if they want to. It won't be correct, but they can still do it. I will give you this, or give them this. This is going to be a younger team this year than last year. Yes. <laughs> because yeah. of the offensive line, because of the defense. It absolutely will be, but since the quarterback more than likely will be a true sophomore, no one's going to be able to play the young team card because the quarterback, for some reason, his experience, you know, carries on to everybody else. That's how college football works. Let's go to an email from Andrew. Hi, Michael and Alicia. With Puka now going to Washington, we now know what Arkansas fans feel after Adonis Ote spurned them to join SC. Commitments mean next to nothing. 
With Puka gone and USC now having slash tying its worst recruiting record to date, is there any positive news you guys can share with us in regard to anyone within the transfer portal USC is possibly looking at, as well as any guys to keep out in the future for the 2020 class? Andrew from the frozen tundra of Idaho. P.S. I would like to congratulate you guys on 300 episodes. I'm happy I started listening to you guys last year and I won't be quitting anytime soon, seeing as I'm now a Patreon supporter of yours. Keep up the great work and not holding back on your thoughts about all things USC. But too bad you guys can't hold back Michael's bad food takes. Keep up the great work and fight out. <laughs> it's it's happening, guys. Fight out is a thing. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, and, and Michael's food takes are also a thing. But thank, thank you, Andrew. Uh, even though I... I feel for you being in the frozen tundra of Idaho. A large swath of my family lives out there. My parents just went up to visit, and it certainly sounded like a tundra. I haven't been up there in a while. But back to the question. Back to the question. Uh, I have to say, like, it's got to be Jalen Phillips, right, as far as the transfer portal is concerned? And I think that's the only name that would rile up people, right? Because there are other players in that portal that USC could get that would really help USC at positions of need. But they're not guys you've heard of. They're not, you know, big, big yets or anything like that, unless we're talking Jalen Phillips. Well, there's the Trayvon Sidneys and the Joshua Moderbebe's from other schools. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course, yes. Like, those are why players are in the transfer portal. Like, you're not going to get a... It's not like free agency in the sense that Bryce Harper and Manny Machado aren't out there. It's a different story. So, Jalen Phillips would be that closest to you know an exciting pickup for USC because he was the number one recruit in the country that's a big deal but he's someone who still has injury concerns he's someone that it's not like SC is it's imminent that they're going to get him or anything like that so don't hold your breath too much but that's someone to keep an eye on if anyone if you're talking 2020 there's a bunch of dudes I we mentioned the list that we put out every year Alicia, you're putting together that list. You want to name off some names besides Justin Flo, who I think is the obvious one? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, Justin Flo is the the big, the big, big hitter uh, as far as guys that USC will look to target. Uh, there are some other there are some other players who I think are intriguing names that USC will be in the mix for. I will say putting together this list this year as opposed to last year. Last year, there were far more obvious names to look at. Then this year, where I think a lot of guys are already kind of out of the running, at least USC is, so they could make a, a a wide swing out. But at the very least, they have Bryce Young, who's committed at quarterback from modern day. Um, Kendall Milton's the big guy at running back, five star. Who, if like, if you want to get excited about a running back, and I caution you against this though, because I'm I'm not certain that he'll end up at USC, big time uh, competition for his signing, but. Go watch Kendall Milton's huddle tape from 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 his junior season. I mean, let's just say you can play that he makes me drool drop because this kid is is the truth. He makes me drool. Yes, exactly. But that's the official tag for for Kendall Milton. He's just at least when you watch the highlights, looks super fast, super elusive, doesn't go down on first contact. Just everything you want in a running back. Kendall Milton's the man. Uh, also, I, I think he's high on the Michael Index too. Kendall Milton's a cool name. It's a good name. It's 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 a good name. He's runs like a football player. He looks like a football player. He's got the name. So great analysis we're given right now. I know, right? Hey, I, like I said, just go watch the huddle tape. You'll see him breaking tackles left and right, shifting in the field. Uh, burning past guys with his speed. He's got, mm. s- like, like you Basically can tell... Basically what Melvin Gordon was doing to your defense. <laughs> Melvin Gordon was not doing anything to my defense. Your offensive line was destroying my defense on Madden, but that's another time. That's a, a story for another time, literally a little bit later. But to move on, some more guys on this list. Julian Fleming, a wide receiver, five-star wide receiver, uh, would have put Johnny Wilson, the five-star wide receiver out of Calabasas, on this list, except that... Johnny Wilson just released the top five and USC is not in it. Uh, but uh, other than that, you know, t- tight end, you're looking at DJ Rogers. At guard, you're looking at Miles Moreau out of uh, Modern Day, uh, who is a, a four star. But, uh, a lo- you know, USC might still have a shot at Elias Ricks, the cornerback who's currently committed to LSU. But it's a long way. 
So th- there are guys that USC could I mean, USC could have a really, really good recruiting class in 2020. But they, they got a hit on a bunch of guys. And, and unfortunately, some of the confidence in them hitting on these guys is a little bit lower than it was last year because we don't know what the recruiting makeup of this particular staff is 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 about. And also, we don't know how the, the 2019 season is going to play out. If USC comes out of the 2019 season and that offense is firing, then yes, Julian Fleming is going to have a much bigger decision. Uh, Chris Hudson, who was a USC commit, who's still going to be considering USC will have a bigger decision. Um, Kendall Milton, if USC gets the most out of Stephen Carr, if Stephen Carr has a breakout season, Kendall Milton's going to have to look at that offense and think, man, that's something I'm, I'm going to want to join. Um, if USC gets a lot out of the tight ends, if Jude Wolf hits the ground running, or if Josh Follow suddenly becomes, you know, a, an amazing passing offense, it's going to create more of a, a potential for USC getting a tight end of DJ Rogers' caliber. But on the flip side, if USC is still falling off a cliff here, if USC doesn't fix any of the problems that they had in 20, 2018, then none of these guys are going to take USC seriously. And they're going to look, all of them are being recruited by Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and Texas and Oklahoma, and they're going to have reasons to go elsewhere. So the results are going to be uh, what, what what comes out. Yeah, a lot of guys there for USC to keep an eye on. We'll see what they can do about actually getting those guys and turning things back around to good news. Let's go to a tweet from Buck. What can USC do to build up the recruiting staff the likes of Alabama's or Clemson's? Why haven't they brought in more people if they are short-staffed? Thank you. Two things. Number one, money. Number two, it goes back to a story that was shared on the Parasite podcast recently about Chris Carlisle. SC kept winning. He kept wanting more equipment. And they're like, well, if you keep winning, why do we need to keep buying more equipment? Yeah, it's it's that almost a, a superiority complex that USC has where, you know... USC sells itself, so why do you need recruiting staff? All that kind of crap. But I think if there's one thing that you really want to demoralize yourself over the future of this program, just to kind of, kind of cycle this back to that email from Dan, the the USC's unwillingness to build up a recruiting staff, which I believe mostly comes back to the money because they'd have to pay people to be employed by USC on that recruiting staff, and why pay people when you can have a bunch of student workers that do the same that that do the job for you. Uh, that tells you everything, doesn't it? If you're not, you know, it's about the seriousness of, of the people that are in charge of USC's finances. And if USC doesn't want to invest in the football program, then they're not going to invest in the recruiting staff. It's it's really, it, it's very, very simple. It's about a willingness. Alabama will hire anybody to be a, a, an analyst, a support staffer, anything. The, the, the reason Clemson and Alabama have those giant staffs is because they're willing to put the money on the table for them. And USC flat out isn't. And until USC is, they're going to be short-staffed. And as long as they're short-staffed, they're going to be behind the eight ball in recruiting and in other things. Yeah, I think it's less about SC being cheap or poor, and I think it's more mostly arrogance. Um, it goes back to the idea of, well, SC gets top five classes with the, you know, with the small staff that they have, so why should they invest in anything more than that um why should they you know throw more money at it because what is that going to do take a number four class to number three is that worth the financial benefit of that i I think that that what that's what it comes down to and then you could say well sc has enough talent whether they're the fourth best class or the fifth best class to win a national title they just don't develop that talent so it doesn't matter like both of the, all that stuff kind of is part of it. You have to be able to, you know, be willing to spend and you have to be able to develop. And if you do both of those things, you end up like Alabama or Clemson. It's just, you got to have the wherewithal to be able to pull those things off. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Karina who says, what are the top three issues that need to get fixed for the OL and the DL and the play calling? Hmm. Okay. Uh, for the offensive line, um, fundamentals and s- situational mastery. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to find something that wasn't that, but it really does. Like it does feel like with the with the offensive line, it, it's got to be consistent fundamentals. Uh, I I was um talking to Trent Goodrich, one of our writers over in Troy, uh, for a. a feature that we're doing on for one of our Patreon episodes this week. I was talking to him about the offensive line and about what the offensive line is going to do in the air raid and all of that. And we, we kind of got on, onto the subject of the big problem for USC's offensive line was just that there was always one guy on the wrong page. 
there was one guy miss, you know, four guys doing their job and one guy not. Four guys knowing what their responsibility was and one guy not. Four guys, uh, you know, having their matchup and, and one guy getting, having a physical beat. And it was any one of those things at any time. So if USC just got five guys to be on the same page on the offensive line more often, then things would be much, much improved. Uh, for the defensive line, I think for me, it's got to be strength. Um, and uh, just because I think the, rushing the passer was a problem for USC's defensive line. And, you know, USC has, I feel like USC has the guys there, the guys with the potential, but they, they just need to put it together, I guess get a little older, get a little more mature physically and, and, you know, start trying to, to, to get at quarterbacks and get into the backfield. As for play calling, uh, you know, just don't be predictable. Don't be, uh, don't be, don't, don't put too much on the shoulders of players who aren't ready. Yes. Yeah. Don't, I mean, th- this was another thing that I talked to Trent about, uh, which, if you're on Patreon, look out for that episode coming out this week. And if you're not, there's a good thing, good reason to subscribe to Patreon. But uh, the idea of, you know, scheme guys open. Like, don't don't rely on, we're just going to have Michael Pittman beat a man or Tyler Vaughn beat a man. Like, why not throw to a wide open receiver every once in a while? I feel like it's been a long time since I've seen USC throw to wide open receivers. Because USC hasn't good, good, done a good job of scheming guys open. And that's not necessarily play calling, but it does feed into what kind of plays you're calling and and how your offense is set up. So there's that. Also, run the ball more. I know that's asking a lot when USC's moving to the air raid, but you know, you, you can you can give up hope on on that one. I, I I think it comes down to just being able to do their job in sync together. Um, show that there is chemistry. That's just one thing that they just haven't been able to do. And whether it's because their blocking schemes are so complex or whether it's because they just, for some reason, haven't been able to be in sync, you would think that Tim Drebno would be better than Neil Calloway, but he was there last year at the end of the year, too, and it didn't seem like there was an uptick when he was around. So it'll be all on him this time. We'll be able to completely judge the offensive line by Tim Drebno this year, and I think that'll be important to evaluate this team going forward. Let's go to a question from Brandon Genos, though. Uh, are USC fans gluttons for punishment? How is it that what the fans see, the coaches miss? For example, recruiting. Obviously, they need to work more, but yet they don't. Tackling. They can't tackle, but yet they don't tackle. Ask Alicia about tight ends the same thing. Uh, I, I think the answer to this question is that things are always a lot more complicated than they seem, and people do things people generally have reasons for doing things. They might not be good reasons, but they have reasons for doing things. Uh, You know, for instance, I know every morning when I wake up, I should go to the gym. I don't always go to the gym because some days I just feel lazy and some days I'm just not up for it. But I know I should. And an outside observer who, if they were, I don't know, in the Alicia fandom and they were looking at me and analyzing like, Alicia would just be so much fitter if she just went to the gym every Tuesday instead of getting lazy because Mondays are hard, you know, it's easy to be on the outside looking in. Like, that's just sort of the way, that's the way it goes. So while it's easy for us to sit here and say, like, they should just recruit more, you know, they could say there's a lot of reasons why they're not winning the battles in the recruiting game. There's a lot of reasons why uh, they're not you know, texting with the kids or doing this, that, or the other thing. Like, I, I don't know. They're, they're, I'm not saying they're good reasons, but th- those reasons exist. And like for the tackling thing, like we can say tackling will benefit this team, but the coaches can come back with equal fervor and say, well, tackling will just result in everyone getting more injured. Uh, the guys know how to tackle. The, uh, the purpose of practice is to teach and to, um, have it be educational and all this kind of, you know, they, they can say the reasons why they do something, even if you agree with, even if you disagree with the approach, but like Clay Helton would probably come out here and say like the reason USC lost a lot of game isn't because they weren't tackling well, it's because this, that, or the other thing went wrong. So, so right. you know, we can also sit here and say like, why didn't Toa Lobanon learn how to snap better? And every time Toa Lobanon was, was asked about the snapping, it was just, it just happens like it just happens and it's not 
necessarily logical like you know yeah i would just say that there's more context to things that we don't necessarily get it goes back to why players don't play that people want to see more on the field more there's other reasons right why is jack sears the third string because according to them he wasn't as good enough in the in the classroom compared to matt fink or whatever like that's just a prime example like there's more depth to these things than what we see on you know on the football field what we see in the practice field what we see anywhere um things are not as easy as they appear the 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 balance you have to strike is you know the fans can be right the fan the people on the outside looking in can be right about what it is that they're seeing but you also have to recognize that like you said things are more complicated than they seem there's context that you're not accounting for and even if clay helton is wrong to do things the way that he's doing them it's not because he's, you know, purposefully deciding to sabotage the team. It's just because he did things for, like he made an investment in one area that someone else wouldn't have made. And it sort of blew up in his face. And that happens. I like the investment theory, too, because I think you usually see it on defense, right? Oh, why do they keep giving up the big plays? Why do they keep doing this? Why do they keep doing that? A lot of times on defense, you're playing the percentages, right? Absolutely. In soccer, there's, well, in in the soccer club that I follow, there's an analogy that one of the hosts on one of my favorite podcasts uses that I think applies uh, to, to football, particularly on defense as well. It's the idea of a blanket. So um, your defense is a blanket and this blanket is too small. Uh, it just it is there is no way you have a too small blanket. You're not rich enough or you're not fortunate enough to have a blanket that covers the whole length of your body. Right. So you need to make a choice. Are you going to have your feet exposed at the bottom or are you going to have your head exposed at the top? Which which part of you are you going to cover with the blanket? Every coaching staff needs to make a decision about which limb they're going to leave exposed when they put the blanket out over the field. And yeah, Clancy Pendergast, for instance, sees the, the the blanket as pulling the blanket up front and then going hard in the aggressive attacking, but then you leave your back end exposed potentially. But the benefit of that might be, well, I'd rather have my head warm than like I'll I'll let my feet be cold because if my head is 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 warm, then I'll feel I'll, I'll prefer that. Whereas like or like for me, I would rather have my feet covered than my face because I don't like having my face covered. I can't sleep that way. So, you know, it's it, it's personal preference one way or another. And, you know, you could look at it and say, well, why are you letting your face be cold? Uh, and, and my answer could be, well, because I'd rather have my feet covered. And that's for Clancy Pendergast on defense. That's for Clay Helton on, on in making his decisions with the way that USC practices. Clay Hilton has decided that he's more invested in the idea of USC's educational practices than physical ones. He can be wrong about that, but that's the the what side of the team he's deciding to cover with the blanket. Yeah, the frustrating part is I think that people would give him the benefit of the doubt on those things if he was great in the areas that he specialized in. Well, if the blanket wasn't threadbare. Yes. Right? right? Like if we're going to use that that analogy, like... If the blanket was a super fluffy, nice, warm, you know, wool blanket or whatever. By the way, the answer is just to curl your your legs up. <laughs> That's the answer. Maybe it's a really small blanket and you're already in fetal position. Eh. Whatever it is. Mm. Eh. Let's go to a question from our good pal, Kenneth Martin from Traveler Hits Thursdays. He says, Bill Connolly has USC as the fourth best team in the conference in his new S&P Plus projections. Do you think that's accurate in how the 2019 season will play out? The list, by the way, if you haven't read it over on SBNation.com, I recommend it. Uh, Washington at number 15, Utah at 17, Oregon at 20, USC at 29, Stanford 32, Washington State 36. That's the top half of the Pac-12 um, do you have any any beef with 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 that stuff? I mean, these projections include things like recruiting prowess, so that gives USC an inherent bump. Yeah, for sure. I'm not surprised that Washington and Oregon are ahead of USC. I'm a little surprised at how high Utah is, but they are also coming off of a really good season, so maybe that's that's given them that big boost. USC being top thirty, I. I don't know. That sounds about right-ish. 
like if normally we would assume that a, a half decent sort of you know not super elite but not terrible USC team would would be what how many how many years was USC in the 15s and we felt like that was right so drop USC down into the 20s and that feels like it's right because the team is still very talented yeah, uh, he has SC as 16th in, in recruiting impact, 38th in returning production, and 10th in a weighted five-year, uh, you know, window going back the last five years. And a lot of that is USC has lost everybody on defense. So USC actually returns quite a bit of production on offense, but when you lose that many guys on defense, it's gonna gonna hurt you in in the in the sort of the statistical measures. Right, and you look at it compared to Utah. Utah is 40th in recruiting impact, so not the greatest there, but they're 15th in returning production. So where they benefit, uh, USC doesn't. It kind of you know flip flops there. Uh, so the the way I look at it, I, I think it, I think it's fine. The the thing that I think that's important to remember is that. USC is going to be ranked on these things, whether it's in the top 25 or just outside the top 25, because of their talent. And we can sit here and say that Clay Helton's not a good head coach, that the coaching staff is is not good, or whatever you want to say. And I think everyone's well within their right to say those things. The bottom line is, he's won with talent before. So it's not like he can't win with talent. We've seen it before. It's just a matter of actually doing it. And so when you get back to Kenny's question... Uh, about do you think it's how the season will play out? I'm inclined to say no, but I don't necessarily think that it can't. Like I could totally see SC as an eight and four team that's like the thirtieth best team in the country. Yeah, me too, for sure. I mean, I could also see USC as a you know four and eight team where the wheels come off, but uh, pessimistic that's... Alicia is out in full force. <laughs> I I I don't I don't I don't I will. F- feel more confident in making predictions for 2019 when I see spring camp and I see what the lineup starts to starts to look like. But I'm also the kind of person I, I put this on Slack the other day. Like this is also the kind of year where I convince myself that USC is better than it is because uh, the, the, the um, spring camp practices, fall camp practices, everyone going up against each other. You can read into the positives wherever you want to. Like everything is positive. No one, no one is, 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 goes out of a, a spring camp or a fall camp thinking like, yeah, man, they, everyone sucks. Like everyone's pretty positive coming out of these things because you don't actually get to see USC going against anybody else. You know, USC's offensive line could look great, but that could be because the defensive line isn't good. Like USC's pass rush could look amazing, but that could be, be because the offensive line isn't any good as it, you know, happened last year. So it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough to see, to even make predictions about this team because so much of it can go one way or the other. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's go to a question from Daniel. Uh, since SC has been going through transfers, decommits, and a horrible 2018 season, is it possible for SC to cancel the Bama series and avoid more humiliation? It's obvious Lin Swan has no clue what he's doing. Do I think it's possible? Yes. Do I think SC would do that? No. Uh, a, they're getting a lot of money for doing it. Two, they're getting a lot of money for doing it. Three, it's kind of late, and four, they're getting a lot of money for doing it. Five, uh, we just talked about USC's kind of arrogance, and I don't think USC wants the perception that they're running from that challenge, but mostly one, two, three, four, and five, you could also just all make it. They're getting a lot of money for doing it. Yeah, and people are going to pay that money for tickets, even though I think that... How many people want to go back to Texas? I don't. I mean... the, I'm the, always down for the for the brisket. So the brisket, I'll be the brisket, there for sure. The brisket almost makes it worth it. It really does. But hey, maybe maybe uh, you know by then Nick Saban will be retired and that'll give some. Or it's Urban Meyer against Nick Saban. That'll be a hell of a matchup. Uh, anyway, oh, <laughs> oh lord. Uh, let, let, let's go to a mat, uh, a tweet from uh, from Scourge. Scourge. We Scourge can never get this right. Scourge 77, as we learned during our Madden game today. I thought you said Scourge and he said I was wrong. I thought no, it was he said No, he said S-C-Urge, like Scourge. Oh, I thought I thought you had it wrong. Anyways, uh, any positive news on the presidential search? I fear that the new president might be the only hope for salvaging some positivity from this offseason. 
and put the brakes on the negative trend this program is headed. Uh, yes, we do have an update. Here is the update. Yeah, there was a, a tweet from, I think, John Wilner, who said that it was expected to come in a, in a matter of weeks, not months. And that was a couple of weeks ago. I don't I don't know. I agree with Scourge that having a president, I think, will will should bring some hope, because once the president is dealt with, the athletic department can make like it, it's not no longer a situation where Lin Swan can't fire anybody because he doesn't have a boss to answer to with the finances and all that kind of stuff. Once that gets settled, USC can start moving on from some things. But it's also, I don't know, it just, as you said, it's crickets for now. So more I don't waiting. like when people say weeks, not months, because I don't know what that means. Like, uh, is, is six weeks, does, is, does that mean like two to six weeks? Because six weeks is still weeks, but I wouldn't call six weeks months. But it is more than one month, so it technically is months. I would say I would say it's more like if you're thinking of like six weeks is weeks, whereas like two months is two months because six weeks is still within like the month and a half. So so weeks instead of months means less than two months. I that's how I would interpret it. Yes. OK. And th- what, what, so we're still in that window. What's the date of next Saturday? Uh, February. Pull it up my calendar. The answer is 23rd, by the way. Yes. It's not the 16th. People who say the 16th, you're wrong. Uh, let's go to a tweet from John. <laughs> uh, what's going on with the strength and conditioning coach search? Is Chris Carlisle in the mix? Uh, yes. Let's go to the next update. That's what we got. You'd think that if Chris Carlisle was in the mix, it would have already happened. That, that's my thought for the most part. But then again, that's what we said about Graham Harrell. So I, but, then, I, but then I also think that if they were just going to name Keith Belton, that they would just do it. My other thought is, I don't necessarily think they're in a rush. I think this is one of those things where they could just, they could, if Keith Belton is the guy, they could just have him do the job and then just formally announce him when spring camp starts and just and went try on to have- with the... With their business without formally announcing it. And try to have that get lost in the shuffle of spring camp starting and all the news that comes out of spring camp starting. Cause people Maybe, would be but, but that would mean that happy. they were self-aware that it'd be bad news. That would require self-awareness, and USC does not necessarily have that, so yeah, who knows. Right, so, eh, I don't know. Anyways, we're going to wrap up there. We got more to talk about over on After Dark. We got questions from SJ from Santa Barbara, Sean from beautiful Austin, Texas. We'll answer that over on Patreon on our After Dark episode, along with us talking about our big Madden game, our big Madden showdown, which we had on Monday night before we recorded this podcast. It was a doozy. It was a valiant, valiant, hard-fought game. More entertaining than Super Bowl. Well, I mean... That that wasn't much too difficult. <laughs> uh, I don't know if, if the if the conclusion was quite as sweet, but uh, it was more entertaining. I'll give you that. So yeah, we'll talk about that over on Patreon. You can listen over at Patreon.com/slash/RainOfTroy. If you're subscribed, just go to your iTunes or your Stitcher or wherever you can plug in the RSS feed. If you're not subscribed, you can subscribe for as little as five fifty five a month, or for ten bucks, you can subscribe, get all of our bonus episodes. And get access to our Slack channel and talk about USC football with us nonstop, 24-7. Yeah, that's going to wrap up this episode. You know where to reach us. 213-373-1872 is the phone number. RandomTroyAtFanSide.com is the email address. Alisa, give us a final word. The final word is darkness, which was the final word of of our Madden game as well, courtesy of Scourge77. Hello, darkness, my old friend. That's, uh, I think, the motto of USC fans this this spring? Yeah, I could see it. I could definitely see it. So, yeah, enjoy that darkness. Just to, to end on a on a downer kind of a note, because, yeah. By the way, the game did not end on a downer note. We'll get to that oh, on, it pa- did. on, it did, on Patreon. <laughs> uh, see you next time. See ya. See ya. See ya.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.